LAC Connect. It's a new way to stay in touch with your local area coordinator, Carers Queensland, with everything you need right here on your device. It's a handy app to keep track of your LAC appointments, browse workshops and events, check out information and support and get the latest news, stories and podcasts. It's available on Android and iOS, so whatever device you have, you can stay in touch. Head to our website to sign up at carersqld.com.au and look for LAC Connect. Choice and Control, a podcast celebrating people with disability. Brought to you by Carers Queensland, NDIS local area coordination partner in the community. Mark Berridge is an author, speaker, family man and ready to face up to a hard physical challenge. He had a successful corporate career that saw him working with international players like Rio Tinto. But that all changed in 2019 when Mark acquired disability as the result of a cycling accident. It was actually a really beautiful morning. It was March. It wasn't particularly humid, so I just remember coming down the hill in Fig Tree Pocket. Uh, I was about halfway through a 70 kilometre ride. I was typically riding 200, 250 k's per week. You know, just that little bit of crispness in the air, actually, which is surprising for March, a beautiful sunny morning, and just thinking, how good is this, and coming around a corner, and suddenly the front wheel lost traction through the corner. Um, it sort of hit a little indentation in the road, and first thing that went through my mind was regain control of the bike and understand your options. Uh, so very quickly going through that process, and then what are my options? I decided to crash straight ahead because there was a park straight ahead, uh, but unfortunately, I... Whilst I knew I was going over the handlebars, uh, once I made that decision, I didn't appreciate that there was a stormwater drain in the in the grassy park, and uh, I flew quite high, just the way that my trajectory went, and came down uh, roughly 1.6, 1.7 metres below ground level into the bottom of this stormwater drain, and my helmet, my left shoulder hit the ground first, I sort of pile driving into the ground, and I fell onto my side at the bottom of this, this ditch. My helmet probably hit the edge of the bluestone rock wall, the, a loose bit of bluestone rock that was above, at the bottom of the ditch and that created uh, a very nasty blow to my helmet. But fortunately, the helmet did a great job and uh, just immense pain. Um, so, um, you know, I guess the next thing you know, I sort of I didn't ever lose consciousness. I sort of know that the guys that were cycling closest to me are uh, coming nearby and calling the ambulance. I could hear that going on and um, and all I can remember was just this intense searing pain in my back and just how do I try and slow things down and control my breathing and not panic in this situation because I was obviously very, um, yeah, I was in a lot of shock, I guess, because of the of the blow and the, and the level of the pain. Absolutely. And then the ambulance took you to hospital. What happened then? Uh, it took a while for the ambulance to come. Paramedics did an amazing job. It took them a while to brainstorm how to get me out of the bottom of the ditch because it was concave and they couldn't really get the stretch underneath me, etc. So all that took a bit of problem solving and then they had to walk away from the ambulance to get me safely out of the ditch. So all that process took a while and then um, the boys have called my wife and let them know that I'm on the way to the hospital and perhaps she should meet me there. They called the ambulances at 7, 8 in the morning. Uh, I think I probably got to the uh, hospital about an hour later and then started getting processed through uh, emergency, met Lucy there, and roughly 10 a.m. as when I got the results of all the scans, etc., that I'd been having to that point, um, and that was, yeah, it was a complete shock. I just really wasn't ready for the news that was delivered, which was that I'd 
uh, well, had five fractured bones, but uh, two fractured vertebrae, most materially, and that had, one of those uh, vertebrae was 40% of its original height. A very large piece of it had gone into my spinal cord, and uh, overall, all those uh, injuries were causing uh, significant, more than 50% compression of my spinal cord. And because I had no idea what that meant, so it just sounded terrible. Um, obviously, I was not prepared for the word spinal cord injury. I just didn't, even though the pain was intense, I don't think I ever expected that. But this, the comment of the 50% compression or more than 50% compression in spinal cord was the one that most impacted me because I just didn't understand what that meant. You know, sort of suddenly thinking, well, is that like the power to my legs? You know, if I'm I only got, 50% of the functionality in my legs or 50% of the power, how am I going to stand up? How am I going to get around? And certainly they weren't picturing a very, they weren't painting a very rosy picture of my future mobility, even if the operation was successful. Um, it was you know, likely to be very, very hard to, to regain mobility. There'll be listeners out there that have, you know, been there for those conversations and it, you know, it is very, you know, very difficult to hear. I, I, I can't even recall being able to lift my head off the plinth to be able to see who was speaking, you know, when I heard the news. And, yeah, it was a very tough moment and probably spent, I think, you know, for at least four hours just completely lost, I think, after that. Um, Lucy's had to, to drive home to let the children know that the, the dad's had an accident at that stage. They'd been sleeping and didn't know much more other than to hang out washing and feed dogs. So she's, uh, I imagine that was a very, very tough uh, drive home and framing in your mind how you're going to have that discussion with the children. So she's gone home to do that and, not, and I'm just sitting there, or lying there, sorry, not sitting anywhere, lying um, immobile, um, I guess, wallowing for quite a while in terms of do I have the strength to take this challenge on. As you're saying, your wife and and your children, they've, they've had those feelings now of what's going to happen with their lives, what's going to happen with your lives. What was your exact feelings towards now acquiring a disability? How were you physically and mentally after the accident? Oh, I think in those first few hours in particular, it's very hard not to, I guess, you know, go to the worst-case scenarios and catastrophize what's happened. So very much... I was thinking like I'm going to be a burden to my family for the rest of the time that I'm alive. And I didn't really, you know, want that outcome. And I guess living a very active lifestyle, three active children, we all, you know, all played a lot of sport. I, I guess always associated myself as, as being sporty in, in my own um, sports activities and um, very much involved in theirs and all of a sudden you're thinking none of that's you know, going to be the same. You know, you may not even walk my daughter down the aisle in the same way. And so having all of those thoughts at that point in time and uh, you're in turmoil and I think you just had to sort of spend a few hours sort of just dealing with that and then trying to find my way to find inspiration of who's, what other people do I know and what other visions going to have of people that have been in tougher situations and how might they have taken on their situations to tackle it rather than get overwhelmed by it and I, I don't know exactly what they would have done to tackle those situations but if I can imagine what they might have done and if I can start to try and replicate what I imagine they might have done then uh, then I'm a chance to I guess to make some progress and ultimately uh, any progress would be better than where I was so 
Wow, it's amazing. Just those few hours, you're already thinking so far into the future. But explain to me then, after those first few hours, you've had surgery. Now, what was involved in your rehabilitation and what was it like learning to walk again? It was a point where I really had to trust the specialist that this was the the right step. So I think I was pretty comfortable that once they'd said, you're going to have these two 23-centimetre rods, um, you know, put up your back and screwed to your good vertebrae with, you know, screws the size of your little finger. I guess I was pretty much okay with that. If that's my pathway forward, that's my pathway forward. So the most of the, once I sort of got through that initial wallow, most of that first day was just, well, that's the first step. I've just got to get through the operation. And, of course, then I wake up post the operation and I can't even slide myself a centimetre up the bed. I couldn't move anything. I really was so incapacitated, well, I guess, in part by the operation, but also, you know, now that I'm, I got some licence to be able to move because on the first day, obviously, they just immobilised me for safety. I realised I can't move at all. No wonder I wasn't trying to get up when I was at the bottom of the ditch because I just literally can't move. So all of a sudden you're back in that ditch of, you know, there is no hope, how can I face this? And you've got to rebuild all that sense of hope and this, I guess those longer-term goals you were talking about of where I'd like to get to, had to rebuild them again on the next day. And then I guess that would be the first thing I did from a, you know, rehabilitation perspective and learn to work perspective was just focus on what can I do today? I can't move myself in bed. It's just exhausting. Well, I can wiggle my toes or attempt to wiggle my toes because at that stage I had virtually no movement of my feet and particularly my big toe on the left was the worst of all. It, it was consistently giving no movement. But how do I just strain everything in the whole body and try and reconnect to the feet and try and get something to move and they're telling me to breathe deep so I don't get any complications from the operation and don't do damage to my lungs. Like That hurts like nothing else, but I can do that. So at the very start, it was just focus on what I can do. And obviously, it was listening to the physios as they told me what I can do and what I should do and, and just doing it as often as I could, as thoroughly as I could. At that stage, that was the only hope I had was just following those little small steps and just doing them and doing them and doing them and doing them. And doing them. So uh, that's what I did. So now we're talking, you know, 30 hours post-operation. The physio comes in and says, we're going to get you to stand up. And I'm going, hang on, I've worked out how little I can move in bed. I really don't think this is going to work. You must be kidding, right? There's no way my legs are going to take me. And they had a rollator, which is sort of this wheeled walking frame. And two physios either side of me, I think the nurse may have been um, asked to be on standby too. And they, uh, I guess, you know, taught me to sit up on the side of the bed and help me do that. And that was obviously extraordinarily painful and difficult. And then they got me to hold me each side and, and got me to get up and about on the on the rollator. And my legs are just shaking uncontrollably. They can't really take the weight and they don't really know what's going on. And uh, we stood for a while and sort of just got the feel for that. And I've probably got, you know, 50% or more of my weight going through my going through the rollator through my arms because my legs just can't bear the load, which wasn't ideal because I had a fractured left scapula and a fractured left wrist, so I wasn't really supposed to be putting any weight, particularly through the left hand, but I just couldn't put it through the legs. And then they said, oh, let's just try and take a couple of steps, and, and they had me walk two metres to the, the door leading into that, uh, the doorway of my room, leaning into that rollator and back, and, and I think that was probably one of those worst moments because you suddenly realise I've got no idea where my feet are below me and how to operate them. So that was, yeah, that was extraordinarily difficult. Um, roughly a week after that um, was my first attempt at 
walking in the parallel bars, which is you know, equally traumatic, I guess, and um, difficult, and I felt so defeated. But I just had to use their advice that this was going to be the way forward, and how do I just how do I just do what you're asking me to do, as difficult as it might be, because my only hope for progression is to give my heart and soul to what you're telling me to do. And this accident and your journey, this led to you writing your book, A Fraction Stronger. Tell me about that. Probably took a, it took a long time to sort of come to that, that point. So mid-2020, so we're talking 15 months after the accident, I sort of wrote something publicly for the first time um, about my accident and dealing with disruption. Everyone was dealing with COVID at that stage, so everyone had their own disruption and it seemed to resonate. And so a few people were saying, oh, you should write and speak some more about, you know, how you tackled your adversity and, and share it for helping other people. And probably took me six months or so to like, get my head around it and commit. And then I decided, yeah, you know, so many people came to hospital and or did things that, that helped me. What can I do to potentially help other people deal with what's a very tough situation? So that led to the start of the writing journey did a few months with a book coach to try and get the right structure. That led to a publisher having some interest in my book and then another few months working with them to, to get the book up to the standard that they saw it needed to be to, to engage readers all the way through it and to really be vulnerable all the way through the book. I think in the first drafts, I'd sort of been uncomfortable about it being too much about me and, and opening up too much. There were sort of parts of the book where I'd opened up a lot but not all the way through the book. And with their encouragement and their support, I, I guess I delved into more of those feelings you know, all the way through the book um, to really create a, a journey, hopefully, where people, yeah, for better or for worse, there'll be sometimes where it doesn't feel that great, but are really with me through that journey. Um, and, and there's some other stories in the book, people have inspired me and, and hopefully that will inspire readers so they can sort of be there and sort of reflect on their own their own strengths and, and what they can do if they're ever in the same situation or if they're supporting someone that's in that situation or just if they want to tackle some difficult change that they haven't been able to do and and there's a bit of a framework there that might help them so that became the sort of the background of the book and yeah i guess overall that was probably about a year's process uh, i would say six months worth of pretty much full-time work for me which is a couple of days a week i'm really focused on on pumping out the book within that that year and a fraction stronger uh, hit bookstores in late February this year and it's just been, I guess, humbling in terms of some of the emails and, and feedback I've received from people that have been in a very difficult situation and, and how the books helped them. And, you know, that's a very nice thing to have happened out of what was a you know, very difficult situation. If you're looking for maximum flexibility and choice, self-managing your NDIS plan might be the right option for you. Carers Queensland's free Introduction to Self-Management workshop covers the benefits of self-managing your plan, how it works and the practical side of arranging support and managing payments. This workshop is offered in person and online. Find out more, check for events coming up near you and book your spot online at carersqld.com.au. I'm very fortunate. I sort of, basically, life is relatively normal. I can walk about 50% of the pace that I used to walk and walking up uphill or with any um, 
load is difficult, my balance, I'm going to be very careful. I'm very reliant on my sight because my proprioception not being perfect. Um, so walking in the dark or something like that, you know, a slippery surface is you know, scary, uh, uncomfortable, difficult. Uh, and getting up and down off the ground is, let's call it inconvenient, um, but it's probably worse than that. Yeah, mobility is you know, well short of perfect, but at the same time, it's at a level where you know, life's relatively normal for most, most tasks, a little bit, with some focus and you know, extra energy. So um, I, I guess it's hard to say, you know, how much did the way I tackled my predicament lead to that being a better outcome? I think there's no doubt some. Exactly how much that sum is, is is hard to say, but yeah, very proud of, I guess, where I've got to, even though at times it still has its challenges in terms of the physical mobility. Absolutely, but it sounds like you should be very proud because I understand you took part in Tasmania's Three Capes track. If you've been in you know, a situation where you know, physical or some other abilities have been taken away and, and you just doing your best to apply yourself to the rehab for that. It can be pretty soulless, thankless at times. You don't really feel like you're, it's hard to assess how much progress you're making. And so obviously the ways I'll deal with that is, you know, having small incremental goals, but also having aspirational goals. And for me, um, doing this you know, very significant scenic walk in Tasmania called the Three Capes Walk, where you're looking down over Tasman Island and, and walking really through National Park was became mine. So that's 54 kilometres over four days. The last two days in particular were extremely tough for me. I was, well, I wouldn't have made it, but for my physio's help in preparing me, but also my physio uh, saying that she wouldn't sign off me going unless I went to a dietitian and, and got special, you know, energy gels and other things to help me get through it because it was effectively an ultramarathon for me. You know, stretch target that I really wanted to do to get out there and, and walk to the bottom of you know, the southeast corner of Tasmania and look down over Tasman Island and off the you know one of the highest sea cliffs in the southern hemisphere and it's just truly beautiful. Uh, I did it with the Tasmanian Walking Company so that I didn't have to carry a full pack. I was just carrying my clothes and you know, water, so about nine kilo, nine kilograms every day. But I couldn't, you know, that even that for me is a, a huge amount. I couldn't have carried that but for using walking poles so I had to use walking poles the whole way through so I think I was probably you know sore on my shoulder blades for you know two weeks afterwards from how hard my shoulders and, and arms had worked effectively sharing that load of the pack and the, you know, dragging myself up and down hills using those poles for um, but yeah it was an aspirational target that I reached and you know probably nothing better than standing down and looking over a view that you really set yourself for 80 months of that's something I'd like to achieve. So, yeah, a very special thing. And so now with your acquired disability, you're an NDIS participant. Uh, when did you access the scheme and, and how did you find out about it? Really important counsel I do write about in the book is, you know, in general, I, I tried hard not to be proud and in, in my recovery and to reach out and seek help. But that was one moment where, but for the pressing of social workers in the hospital, I probably might have, you know, just dismissed something that I really shouldn't have. And I'm so grateful that they pushed on and said, no, Mark, this is really important. We're going to apply to this. And they kicked off that process for me while I was in hospital. Then once I started coming out of my day hospital treatment, so July, I reached out to, you know, follow up with the NDS and have my first meeting with my local carers Queensland uh, person. 
Uh, as a result of that, I found the physio that I continue to work with today. I probably wouldn't have found that physio but for the NDIS process. And you know, she's a specialist in the area, whereas I may not have found the right specialist and uh, just gone to a general, you know, physio, which still might have been good, but wouldn't have been as good as what what I've you know been able to access. And yeah, so you know, both in terms of the, I guess, the plan itself, but also the way that triggered outcomes for me by who I you know, selected for treatment, um, the NDS has just been a cornerstone of my recovery. I, I would not be the same person on so many levels, probably wouldn't have written a book, probably wouldn't be the, as mobile as I am, but for the NDIS. So you know, fundamentally, I, I can't see how I ever would have recovered physically to the same level, but for that NDS support, particularly you know, because I've used it so focused around physio and the, those physical gains. I've been having a much more difficult time after the NDIS, so it's just life-changing in terms of the way it's helped me tackle my recovery and achieve improvements. You can find out more about Mark's work and his book, A Fraction Stronger, on his website at markberridge.com.au. That's M-A-R-K-B-E-R-R-I-D-G-E, or one word, .com.au. Thanks for joining us at Choice and Control, a Carers Queensland podcast. For more information about the National Disability Insurance Scheme or Carers Queensland, contact us online at carersqld.com.au. You can call us on 1300 999 636 or head to Facebook and look for Carers Queensland NDIS.